Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, here's this week's message. Before Tori comes and preaches today, I just feel a heavy heart today. I, I know I'm putting some of you on the spot, but it's all right. If we have teachers, which I know we have, if we have teachers, I want you to come down and we're going to pray over you. Teachers, any teachers today, come on down. As I pray, I want you to pray for these teachers because they face things that we can't even imagine. I'm talking with students that are financially challenged all the way to where mentally challenged, all the way to where homes challenged. It's a a whole plethora of things that these teachers face every time they teach their classes. So let's pray together for them. Lord, we come to you. Father, We feel your presence. You are moving in this place today. I pray right now for these teachers. I don't know what they will face after the holiday season and they go into their classroom on Tuesday. But Father, I pray that you would give them a loving spirit. I pray, God, that you would give them your strength and your power to face what they will face. Father, it's a joy being a teacher. It is a joy changing the minds of children and students. But it's a challenge. I pray, God, whatever schools and whatever classes they represent today, I pray, God, that you would use them. Not in their power, But I pray that it would be your power. Thank you for the great opportunity we have to love each other. Thank you for the great opportunity that we are the church that is greater because of you. Father, I'm reminded of the scripture passage. Greater are you that is within us than he that is in the world. Use all of us. As we continue to look towards you for guidance, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, teachers. Let's give these teachers a hand. Well, good morning. I feel like after the testimonies and Joey's passion, I don't need to preach this morning. So, <laughs> Oh, no, it's so good to be here this morning. I haven't seen all of you since last year. So, it's the first time I've been able to see you this year, so I'm super, super glad to be here. So, um, I hate that I missed last week um, with all the crud going on. I was being safe, but I'm um, so glad to be here this morning and bring God's word. Super grateful for this opportunity. Um, as you know, I'm not Jack. Jack is in the Dominican right now, and he is on his way back, I believe, either today or tomorrow, um, Lord willing. And um, so, he's down there in the mission doing, you know, just being faithful and 
uh, working with the mission down there, which is always awesome to hear about. Can't wait to hear the new exciting stories that he has in place. Um, so if you've been coming consistently to our church, you know that we have been discussing how we're going to be going through the book of Genesis starting the first of the year, um, which that's actually not going to be happening this Sunday. Jack's going to start that next week, I believe. Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning. Uh, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> so I'll give you a couple minutes to flip through there. Philippians chapter 1 is where we'll be in this morning. So if you have a hard time finding the book of Philippians, if you don't have your, your, your phone, I know a lot of people sometimes have a hard time finding the epistles because they're so small. But there's actually a small saying that helps me as a kid that I still remember to this day, and it's God eats potato chips. And so it's God eats potato chips. So it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you have a hard time finding it, if you find Colossians, you've gone too far. If you find Ephesians, you need to go a little farther. So God eats potato chips. Never forgot it, never will. So hopefully you're there by now. We're in Philippians chapter 1, we're in verses 12 through 20. So today our main focus is going to be on the advancing of the gospel. Uh, We're going to see what Paul was going through during this time. And we're also going to talk about, um, you might hear me say the word perspective quite a bit this morning. Uh, We're going to talk about Paul's perspective and things that he went through and how his perspective was fully focused on the Lord and his faithfulness to God and how we can apply that to our lives today. So hopefully you're there by now, so let's go ahead and read. Starting in verse 12, it says this. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more speak the message fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry and not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Let's pray. Most heavenly, gracious Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to wake us up this morning, Lord. Um, I know it's not the best weather, but it's still a great opportunity to get up and, and, and praise you, Lord, for your goodness. Um, thank you for this time together as a church, Lord. I pray that our hearts will be uh, mended right for you. I pray that our ears will be um, ready to listen to what you have to say, God. Uh, thank you again for this great opportunity uh, to just bring your word, Lord. I pray that you will hide me behind your cross, God, um, so that I don't get any glory, but that you get all of it, Lord. We love you, and I pray this in your name. Amen. So after reading that section, so a couple things we need to know about Paul and his situation. So right now, during when Paul is writing this letter, he's writing to the church of Philippi. And he's in a really, really tough place. So most of us in here probably know the situation with, with Paul. And, you know, he's been out. He's been preaching the word of God. He's been spreading Jesus and the gospel. Um, well, he's been in the city of um, Rome. And during this time he's been here, he has gotten captured. And he's been sent to prison. The, the, the king there was uh, Caesar of Nero. And he did not like what Paul was doing. So essentially he sent Paul to prison for Paul preaching the gospel. So we find out that Paul is sitting here, he's locked up in prison, um, and he's preaching the word of God, um, which is what has gotten him to this point here today. So he's right to the church of Philippi, he's at the beginning of the chapter, he tells them, thank you, he gives them, um, he prays for them, 
You know, they talk about how he misses them, how he misses the community, he misses their fellowship. Um, but then he gets to this point in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel. And so first thing we notice here is that he says the word brothers. Some translations might say brothers and sisters. So if you read throughout Scripture, and especially in all of Paul's writings, when it says brothers and sisters, he's referring to those in Christ. So we know that here in this part, he's talking to the church of Philippi and those other believers in Christ. Um, But what's so interesting here is Paul is in prison, like I just said. But it's prison that's different than what is today. You know, prison now, you know, people are, when they're in cellmates, they have cellmates, they're in a cell, it's a five by seven. Um, They get TV, they get rec time, they get community with, with each other. But that's not the case how it was with Paul. So with Paul, he was locked up 24 hours a day, but he actually had physical chains on him. So it doesn't say this in Scripture, but scholars believe that the chains were from his hands that came down to his waist and down to his feet. And there's another chain that actually attached to a Roman guard. So Paul was essentially attached to a guard the entire day that he was in prison, for his, his entire time being in prison. And if you do the math, there were six guards that were on shift, or excuse me, four guards on shift for six hours. So for an entire day, he was locked up to an enemy who put him in prison for his entire time of being in prison. So he was physically chained to someone who had him in prison, which is kind of crazy to think that he was physically held captive to someone who put him in prison. I don't know about you, but I can't imagine knowing my flesh being locked up and physically attached to the person who has me in prison. You know, I mean, I know he's not attached to Caesar, but it's someone that, so that works for Caesar. It's a Roman guard. And so the fact that he's attached to the Roman guard his entire time in prison, I mean, that's crazy to believe. I mean, me, as, as a person, I would be so frustrated and bitter and so angry at the fact that I'm locked up, for one, not even doing anything wrong, preaching the belief in the word of God, but also being attached to someone who... I view as an enemy. So that's the first thing that we notice here is Paul is talking to believers. We notice that he's locked up and chained to an enemy, as he says here in verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. So we notice here is that Paul, like I said, is locked up. He's stuck in chains and he's attached to these Roman guards. Well, Paul has been showing Christ and making Christ known to these imperial guards. So while Paul is attached to these, by the hip to these guards, he's preaching them and teaching them the word of God, and he's showing them Christ in this, in this process. So while Paul is sitting here, locked up as an innocent man, he's devoting himself to the Lord by being faithful and saying, you know what, I'm locked up in these chains, and I'm attached to someone that's an enemy, but I'm going to show them who Christ is. I'm going to make Christ known to this Roman guard. And while he's doing this, this is being known throughout the entire area of Rome and the Roman government. So it's going through the Roman guards. They're becoming followers of Christ through the process and the faithfulness of Paul. And from that part, it's going to the Roman government, and it's being spread out, and it's being heard about throughout Rome. Let me take a sip really quick. I'm getting a little dry. Sorry. So while he's sitting here, and he's, and that's what it means here in verse 13, when it says, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. So like, like I said, I mean, I can't imagine Paul using this platform of, you know what, I'm locked up, but I'm going to use it for the goodness of the, and the glory of Jesus Christ because I'm going to show my enemies that, yeah, you have me locked up, but you can't bound me forever because I'm going to teach you about Jesus. So what, Nero thought he was going to stop 
by locking Paul up forever didn't stop because he still taught them and he still showed the Roman guards Christ was known. And it made me think about this movie. So in my free time, you know, I love sports and I love crime documentaries. That's the two big things that I really watch. But if I'm not watching those, I usually watch movies. Um, and I promise I'm not a psychopath about the crime documentaries. They're just really fascinating. But if you watch a crime documentary, a lot of times you, you watch it in the first 15 minutes, you know, a lot of evidence is left behind. Sometimes the person who is found guilty, it's the evidence proves this person's guilty. You know, there's DNA, there's skin cells, there's, um, you know, just evidence that's left at the crime scene that proves, okay, this person is guilty for this crime that they committed. But there's also times in life where we hear about people that are charged that are innocent. You know, they're charged for crimes they didn't actually commit. Um, they maybe have fit the description that the suspect looked like very similar, or maybe they didn't have a very great alibi. So, like, they didn't, maybe they're at home one night and they didn't have someone that can say where they were during that time. So, they got charged for a crime they didn't commit. Well, there's this movie that I've watched called Double Jeopardy. Has anyone seen Double Jeopardy? Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been out for a while. So, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to spoil it for you, but it's been out for 20 plus years. So I'm sorry. Uh, but basically, essentially, it's this movie about this woman. Uh, this is the Cliff Notes version. So this is a woman who um, gets charged for the murder of her husband. And she's under, she doesn't understand because we as the audience know that she didn't actually commit the murder. So she was framed, essentially, for the murder of her, or for her husband. Um, and then as she's in prison, we find out that, okay, she realizes that her husband is still alive. And so then she's like, all right, so I'm so angry and I'm bitter and I'm frustrated about the situation. She's doing whatever she can to get out of prison, which essentially she gets out of prison and then she goes after with a vengeance towards her husband. That's essentially the whole plot of the story. Um, if you want to watch the rest, you can go find it on, on Hulu or something, I'm sure. Um, but the difference between her actions and Paul's is she went back to her enemies with a vengeance as opposed to Paul. Paul, who was an innocent man, just like this woman in the movie, Paul said, you know what, I'm going to take my situation and I'm going to use it as the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. He made Christ known to his enemies through his chains. Um, we see all through scripture in the times where Christ um, and, and the Lord uses circumstances to um, make the, the goodness of, of his situation, you know. And uh, one situation that I'm, I'm gonna think about here in my life um, is when I was really, I had really, really heavy chains in my life. There was a time in my life where chains was really heavy. I was dealing with a lot. Uh, I was early in my college days, um, and I had just flunked a, a class. And if you know anything about college, you have specific courses that are like stepping stones for other courses. And so while I was taking this class, I had failed it. And I was discouraged. I was really frustrated because I knew I had to take it the same class again in the next semester. Um, and it was a really difficult class. And the reason why I failed it was there was only three grades for the entire semester. There was two papers and a quiz. And the first grade that I had was the paper, and I failed it. And with the stepping stone of a class for my degree, I had to make at least a C or higher in the class to move on to the next area. Well, obviously, since I filled the paper, that wasn't going to happen. So I had to drop the class. So essentially, I was super discouraged. I was really frustrated. Around the same time, one of my favorite people in the whole world passed away, my grandfather, um, who I was super, super close with. One of the best people that I've ever met in my life. He's one of those people in life that you know is not perfect because no one is. But in your life, you're like, this guy is, is awesome. You know, he had that impact on me. Um, other people, you know, there's things that happen in his life, but to me, like, he, was, he was up here for me. So he had just passed away. I had just bombed a class that I really needed to pass. Um, I was working at a really toxic restaurant. I was a server there. 
my best friend in the entire world had moved back to Conway, that five, five hours away where he was from, Conway in Myrtle Beach. Um, I felt alone. I felt helpless. I, had, I, was, I felt in a dark place. I had these super, super heavy chains on me um, to the point where there's one w- weekends when I was in college and after my shift at, at school, I, w- I was going to go to Walmart and I was going to buy razors because I was hurting that bad. I, I genuinely was. I was hurting. And I didn't know how to get out. But I was, I was, I was working that shift the night before I was going to go to Walmart and Traveler's Rest. Um, there was this older couple that was working. We were super busy. They were super friendly. Um, but this gentleman wrote on his check, he said, uh, he wrote on his check, they were super nice, he said, there's no life without the cross. And underneath that, he wrote Ephesians 2. And if you go read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul doesn't actually state there's no life without the cross, but he talks about how there's death to life, and he talks about repentance, and how we are bound for destruction because of our sin, um, but because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, we have life everlasting. And I tell you the story because I failed with my sins and, and my chains that I was struggling with. See, I needed that encouragement from this stranger who was in my life that I didn't even know. He was a believer, but he lifted me up and encouraged me. Um, and we're going to see here in this next verse that Paul does the same thing. Paul uses his chains to encourage other believers in the city of Rome. I was the opposite. I had these heavy chains, this burden on my life. I felt dark. I was in an empty place. I didn't know what to do. I felt alone. Um, but then I realized how sinful and ignorant I was being, and I felt so convicted. And I did repent because I realized my life is not for me. It's for the glory of God. And because of Jesus Christ, I can have everlasting life. And just like Paul is locked up in this cage, bounded by chains to an enemy, he's showing how his life can be glorified even in that circumstance. And I don't tell you that story about me to have self-pity on me or anything like that. I tell you that because I'm comfortable enough to share that with you. Um, because the Lord has changed me. The Lord's shaped me. The Lord's molded me in a way to use him for his purpose and his glory. Because ultimately, my life is not for me. <clears throat> so that brings me to my first point today. Our first point today is Christ was known. So to Paul, while Paul was stuck with these chains on his body, chains around his hands, his legs, attached to these Roman soldiers, he was chained to these enemies, but he had lived abundantly to make Christ known. Paul says in 2 Timothy verse 9, he says, For which I suffered to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So Paul knew, okay, I'm viewed as a criminal by these Roman guards, by these Roman governments, by everyone in this society. I'm viewed as a criminal. But you might be able to bound me, but you can't bound the word of God. And so Paul used his circumstance and his perspective to bring the better and the glory of Jesus Christ to his enemies, which is so incredible to see. So let's move on to this next section in this passage, verses 15 through 19. Actually, excuse me, let me, let me jump down here to verse 14. I, I skipped it. So it says here, Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more speak the message fearlessly. So as I was saying, this gentleman who I didn't even know at the restaurant gave me confidence as a believer. Paul was giving other believers in the area of Rome confidence in his actions. So Paul was being known for what he was doing in prison. He was known for, you know what, he's bound to an enemy, but yet he's teaching them, making Christ known through his actions and it was encouraging to others believers in the area. So not only was Paul 
teaching the word of God and showing who Christ was to these enemies, he was making an encouragement, encouraging other believers in the area as well, as we see here in verse 14, which is so remarkable to see. But now 15 through 19, let's see what it says here. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we notice here in verse 15 is Paul is strictly saying, to be sure, some preach out of envy and strife. So in this term, so for us, on this side of history, we see all that Paul has done for us, all that he's written for the New Testament. You know, people say, if it wasn't for Paul, we wouldn't have a third of the New Testament, essentially. Um, which I would, I would sit here and argue, because I believe the, with the Lord's perfection and his faithfulness, if it wasn't Paul that wrote the third of the New Testament, it would have been somebody else. Um, but we have proof that it was Paul that wrote this. Um, but during this time, there's people in Rome, and the church is divided. There's people who are praising Paul for what Paul is doing in prison, how he's preaching and showing Christ known to these Roman guards, but it's also people who are frustrated and angry and mad at Paul for what he's doing. They're like, he's in prison, what is he doing? Like, he, they, they were frustrated and they had envy and strife towards Paul during this whole time. Um, some, some scholars would even say because of those who have envy, um, they were jealous of Paul. They believe that some scholars, um, some scholars believe that those who were jealous, it was because, you know, they wanted to be known more than Paul was. So, like, they were out preaching the word of God. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, but people were still talking more about Paul than what their ministry was doing, and that was being frustrating, which me, as someone in a ministry position, I get that. There's a lot of competitive spirits that happen in our world today. We're, we're all competitive. I grew up in a competitive household. When my brother and I play sporting, sporting games or board games as a family, if he doesn't win or if I don't win, one of us is going to be mad. I mean, that's, that's what we do. So I have a cousin. I'll tell you the short story. I have a cousin who him and his family are on a bowling team, and they love the bowl. My dad actually bowled with them this year. Um, and my cousin is the type of person, he's so competitive that he would rather have the best score on the team and their team lose than have the worst score and their team win. Like, that's how competitive my cousin is. Like, it's, it's really, really sad. Um, so these people that had envy and strife towards Paul, they were, they were jealous and they were, they were competitive because they wanted their ministry to be known but all people were talking about in the area was how Paul was advancing the gospel through these Roman guards and how it was going through the Roman government. <clears throat> so these people were more concerned about being the best on their ministry and focusing on how they can be the best instead of focusing on being the get best together, essentially. Um, as, as I was saying about my cousin, you know, he was focusing on his main score, not his whole team's uh, score together. So they were so wrapped up in their own doing but Paul also says here in verse 16, he says, These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So there were some that were preaching and teaching and praising Paul for what he was doing. They were, they were showing the love of Paul. They were you know, encouraging what Paul was doing and what he was going through and how he was just being faithful to our Heavenly Father through this situation. But my favorite part of this whole section comes in verses 17 and 18. So 17 and 18, it says this, The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry and not sincerely, seeking to cause me anxiety and my imprisonment. 
What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. See, Paul is implying here that some of these people are having selfish ambition. You know, it's okay for us to have ambition. You know, it's okay to want to be the best at something. Um, when I played football, I wanted to be the best tight end I could possibly be in the state of South Carolina. Um, that didn't happen, but <laughs> that, that was my ambition. Um, it's okay to want to be the best at something, but these people had the wrong motive. They wanted to be the best for their sake. As Paul was like, it's not even about me. It's about Jesus Christ. What I'm doing is about him. You know, don't give me the glory and fame. Give, give the fame to, to Jesus and all that he's doing, which is so incredible to see. But my favorite thing I love here is verse 18 where Paul says, <clears throat> let me find this, excuse me. What does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. See, Paul, he knows these people are, are upset at him about what he's doing. You know, he's in prison. He's locked up. He's preaching the word of God. He's making Christ known to these guards. It's, it's flowing through the Roman government. It's going through the society. He knows that some people aren't happy about what's going on with him. But he knows some people are. But at the end of the day, Paul is saying, I don't care whether you're happy about the situation or not. What I care most about is, one, Christ is being proclaimed. You know? So he he's also talks here about you know, these men that he's talking to, they were preaching the word of God. You know? Even though they had envy and, and, and bad motives, they were still preaching the word of God in their area as well. And Paul was happy about that. He said he rejoices at the fact that they were preaching the word of God, that Christ was proclaimed, which is so phenomenal to realize that, you know, these people were so frustrated and upset with Paul that he didn't care about their viewpoints on him. You know, so, so many times in society, we care about what people think about us. I know I do. You know, I get my feelings hurt if I, if, if I say something and someone's like, oh, I don't, I don't like that you said that. And that's just our nature. It's, it's how we are as a society. Um, but Paul didn't care. He didn't care that these people had bad motives. He didn't care that there was people that had good motives. He cared that Christ was being proclaimed. He cared that Christ was being preached. That was the goodness of Paul and what this situation was. And it makes me think about the church. Um, so many times I hear in churches, um, not, it, I actually had not heard this really situation here in this church. Um, Crossroads is phenomenal. But so many times we hear in churches, you know, oh, you know, why, why do we not have this? Or why do we not have this? Or, you know, we used to have a gymnasium, but we don't have a gymnasium anymore. Or, you know, this church has this many kids for VBS, and they do it at night, and we do it at day. Or, or you know, why are they doing a Sunday night event? Well, we're doing a Sunday night event. And, you know, it's, at this, it's like, why are we so frustrated when other churches are doing things? We should be rejoicing that they are preaching the word of God, that Christ is being proclaimed at their church. You know, church family, if you're here today and you're, if you're an active member and you come here every Sunday morning, if, you, if you're here and there's things that make you bitter about the church, the first thing I, wanna, I, would, I would say is I want you to, you should probably check your heart in regard to what is God doing in your life, you know? And what I mean by that is when you come to church, our whole purpose here is to come together as a community, as a body of Christ, as Alicia said earlier, and for us to praise and worship our Heavenly Father. And that happens through Christ being proclaimed and for us to being hearers and doers of the word. That's how, we, that's how we interact as a church family. So it doesn't matter if we were to be in the sanctuary next week, if we were to be outside the week after, if Jack was to say, hey, in two weeks we're going to be at Java Bistro. That's where we're going to meet for church. You know, <laughs> It doesn't matter. If Jack comes the way he always does and he preaches the word of God and Christ is being proclaimed, then it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. No other motives matter. 
And so many times in our society, we get upset because other churches are doing things that we're not. But it's like, y'all, we have to focus on us. We are a community. We are a unity. We are unified together. And if Christ is being proclaimed here, then that's what matters. And Paul, in this passage, he didn't care that people were upset with him. He didn't care what their motives were. He didn't care what they were doing. All he cared about was Christ was being preached. That's what he cared about, knowing was that he was preaching Christ, that they were preaching Christ, and he rejoiced over that. And we should too. You know, we have, you know, we were talking about our teenagers earlier. You know, our teenagers, if they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they're not the future of Crossroads. People say that all the time, you know, oh, the next generation is the future of the church, the future of the church. No, if they've put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are the church. They're part of us. And we need to teach them that it's okay to rejoice if another church is proclaiming Christ. Because they do one thing and we don't, it's okay. If Christ is being preached, then that's what matters. If a church is at 9.30 in the morning and you want it to be at 11, then your motives are wrong. If Christ is being preached, we have to be here and be faithful. And for Paul's situation here, he didn't care about the circumstances. He knew he was locked up. He knew he was going to have people that had bad motives, people were going to have good motives towards his views. But ultimately, Christ was being preached, and that's what Paul cared about, as we see here. So that's our second point today, is Christ was preached. Christ was preached. So during Paul's time in prison, Christ was being preached. It was being preached by Paul to the Roman guards and to the Roman government, but also towards those from the church of Philippi that Paul had impact on, as well as those that were in Rome. Um, So this entire area that Paul was part of, this community, they were all preaching the word of God. And that's why Paul was so rejoiceful, because... He knew that Christ was being proclaimed, and that was ultimately what was most important. Let's move on to verses 19 and 20 here. Verse 19 says, Because I know this will lead to my deliverance, and through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So the first thing we notice here is Paul's talking in verse 19. Um, because of this, I know, because I know this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he knows that things that are going on in his life, he, he, he's not really in control of. You know, he, doesn't view that, he doesn't view it as, you know, God's punishing me for what I'm going through. He views it as an opportunity to be faithful and trust the Lord's process. But the, my favorite part of this verse is verse 19 that talks about how he talks about through the prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's talking to the church of Philippi here in this, in this verse. And he's saying, through your prayers being led by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, um, his needs are being met. So I can assure, I'm sure Paul was exhausted, physically, mentally drained, locked up in prison, you know, preaching the word of God. I'm sure he was tired. You know, I'm sure he was. But he is thanking the church of Philippi for their prayers, for their leadership, for their impact. You know, we just sat here for 15 minutes and prayed together as a church. We heard testimonies that needed prayers for. We heard our teenagers that needed to be praying for. Church, there's so much power in prayer. And there's one thing that I've learned so much here at Crossroads in the year that I've been here is how incredible prayer is and how much it's needed. Um, There's this, this quote by the great Martin Luther that he said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So I'll say it one more time. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. So think of it this way, church. You know, you get up this morning, 
you breathe, you know? You get ready, you're breathing. The whole time you're, you're interacting with life, you're constantly breathing. When you sleep, you're breathing. When I'm sleeping, I'm snoring. Um, but when you're, when, you're, when you're doing stuff in life, you're breathing. That's just what we do. You can't go on without life without breathing. It's impossible. The same thing goes here with the Christian faith. We cannot have a walk with Christ, a, devote, a devoted life with the Lord without prayer. I mean, he's our heavenly father. I mean, think of it this way. You have a spouse. You can't have a relationship if you don't talk. You have a kid. You can't discipline or, or, or fellowship with your child if you don't talk. We cannot have any success in our Christian faith if we do not have prayer. I mean, that's literally the way that we talk to our Heavenly Father. Through prayer and through His Word, that's how we talk to our Heavenly Father. And it's so remarkable to hear, you know, Alicia come up and saying, you know, she, she wanted prayer for the teenagers, and just the love and hearing that from our own congregation of people knowing that we need prayer for each other. I, I love that. I need prayer. One of my favorite days of the entire week is Mondays. I love Mondays. And Joey's grinning because he knows why I love Mondays. <laughs> I love Mondays because of staff meetings. I, I generally do. We, we, get, we get together, our staff comes here on Monday mornings, um, and, and we, we talk, and we go through our weekly task and what we need, what, what needs to be done for the week, um, what each other need for each other. But what I love most about staff meetings is at the very end. And what I love is that we go around the table one by one, and we pray for each other. We pray for our needs. We pray for our spouses, our families. We pray for us as a church. Um, and ultimately, it shows each other the appreciation and the love that we have for one another. Um, the impact that prayer truly has in our lives as believers is so remarkable. But what's so great about this verse is Paul follows it up with, through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So our prayers are nothing if it's not led by the Spirit, if it's not followed by the Spirit. Because we have no power, church, we don't. And, it, and Paul says later on in Scripture, I believe it's in Romans, he says, if you become a follower of Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit with you. And it's dwelled inside of you. Without the Holy Spirit, prayer is nothing. You know, we can pray all we want, but if we don't have the Spirit, and if it's not led, and if it's not the backbone of our prayer, then it doesn't really matter. Um, and Paul knows that his church, the church of Philippi, is, church of Philippi is faithful, and they have been praying diligently for Paul in his circumstances um, throughout this process. Verse 20 says this, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Some translations probably say here, Christ will be highly magnified. Christ will be magnified in my body. Um, my translation says that Christ will be highly honored. But the first thing it says here in verse 20 is my eager expectation and hope. So see, Paul, he was eager. He had his faith and his complete deliverance and trust in Jesus Christ. He was like, you know what? I know my circumstances are tough. I know what I'm going through is difficult, but I'm putting my expectation and hope in Jesus that, you know what? The Lord's going to deliver in whatever way he wants, whether it's by positive or by negative. He says at the very end, whether my, my body will be honored and Christ will be magnified by my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul knew in his circumstances, being in prison, being locked up in Rome, knowing that he's been preaching the word of God, showing Christ known through this process to the Roman guards after Caesar has said, don't do it, he understands that his life may come to death. He was going to be put on trial, and he understands that. But he's saying, regardless of whether it's life or death, my life will be for Jesus, and Christ will be magnified through my life, whether by life or by death. And I love this. This is our third point. It says, Christ is magnified. See, Paul's body 
he viewed it not as his own. You know, Paul, obviously, he had his own physical body, but he viewed it as, as a tool and as a weapon for Jesus Christ, for his heavenly Father, his, for our, our Savior, and what he could do um, for, for God's mission. And that's how we should view it, Lord, uh, view our Lord, and how we view our own body in the same situation. And there's this, this analogy that I have for you. So think of a telescope. So when you're using a telescope, you look at it, and when you look at a telescope, you look through it to the stars and the moon, um, and it makes something that's so far away blow up an image and it makes it closer. See, for us, we're, we're like a telescope, and God wants to use us so we can look towards Jesus and blow up Jesus as an image for others around us. Because if we are that close to the Lord and that close to, to um, Jesus, then we can do whatever we can to bring him glory and honor and praise in that situation. So see, church, Paul knew that his life wasn't about him. Paul didn't care if he was on the streets or if he was locked up in prison. He knew that he was going to preach the word of God, and that's what he did. That's, and that's how his motive should be. You know, some people didn't like what Paul was doing, but he made sure that he made Christ known through his actions because everything that he did was for the glory of God. There's this one last story that I'll say, and then we come up, and then we'll lead to our close and invitation. Um, Joseph Bennett was here about a month and a half ago, I believe. He was here speaking to the youth. And he told us this story. If you don't know who Joseph Bennett is, he, him and his family are missionaries in Honduras. Um, and he, he was telling us this story about this couple who was also missionaries, but they were in a different country. Uh, but it was a country that Jesus couldn't be proclaimed, the Bible couldn't be used. Um, it, just, it wasn't allowed. It was forbidden. Um, but they were there to preach the word of God, to share the gospel. Um, they were that devoted. But during this time, uh, this couple got kidnapped. And they got taken. And the husband began to get his eyes burned by the people that were capturing him. They were burning his eyes, burning his eyes over and over. And then the people would stop and they would say, where are the Bibles? Tell us where the Bibles are. And he wouldn't tell them. So they would continue to burn his eyes over and over and over and over. And then they would stop again and say, we just want your Bibles. Tell us where the Bibles are so we can destroy them and we'll let you go, we'll let you live. And he keeps, they keep burning his eyes. He doesn't tell them, he doesn't tell them. And then eventually his wife was like, just tell them where the Bibles are so you can live. And he looks at his wife and he says, don't let your love for me interfere with your love for Christ. And it's like, man, this person was so devoted to make Christ known in his area, to preach the word of God, to magnify Christ in his life, to tell his wife that, to be in that situation. I can't imagine. I love my wife dearly. I can't imagine. You know, I can't, I can't imagine that situation. Um, so our three points here today is, Number one, Paul made sure that Christ was known through his actions. He was locked up to these enemies, to these Roman guards, but he didn't care. He didn't have vengeance. He didn't have anger. He had peace. He had love. He was determined to make Christ known through his actions to these enemies, regardless of his innocence. And the second thing we see is that Paul preached the word of God to them. Um, We we also see that that Christ was being preached throughout the area. At the church of Philippi, it was being preached. At the area in Rome that Paul was at, Christ was being preached because of what was being done. And lastly, we see that Paul was living to magnify Christ. His life was magnifying Christ. And we see in the next verse, in verse 21, Paul says, to live is, to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And if you actually look at the Greek terminology and the Greek translation uh, of the writing, to live is Christ, but to die is gain, there is no verb in between. So it says, live, Christ, die, gain. Paul wanted no separation between him and Jesus Christ. 
He, he was that severe and that, that determined to do everything he could possibly to live abundantly and faithfully for Jesus. And so I want to encourage you all today, you know, this is a new year. You know, <clears throat> as, the, as the, the team starts to play and I, as I walk down and we begin our invitation, I'm going to ask all of you to stand if you like. Um, we all make New Year's resolutions, don't we? I make a New Year's resolution. I've already failed it. Mine was to limit sweets. And I've already, I had one last Christmas treat cake and I ate it. So I've already failed. But maybe our true New Year's resolution needs to be how can we live more freely for Jesus this year? Whether it's making Christ known, preaching the word of God, making Christ magnified. When you're out in your day, is Christ known when someone looks at you? You know, are, are you preaching Christ? I'm not saying when you go to a drive-thru that you need to tell someone they need to repent or they're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But our actions can preach the word of God. And lastly, is Christ magnified through you? A lot of us in here are parents and grandparents. When, you're, when your kids or grandkids look at you, can they see that Christ is magnified? Can they see Christ closer to you through your actions? So as we play... I'm just going to ask for invitation. I want us to respond this morning. You know, don't don't stop. Don't excuse me. Don't start the new year off on the wrong foot. I'm going to be down here if you want someone to pray with. Joey's here. If you want to pray in your seat, pray in your seat. Respond how the Spirit leads you. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.